Hello, and welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Janelle, and I'll be your host for this special COVID-19 edition of the podcast. Today, what I wanted to do is just give you a little update on Ryan and I, and um, share with you some things I've collected with you in mind that I've found either helpful or inspiring during this time. So just kind of think of this as an audible social media feed. I hope that you find this helpful. Please let us know if there's anything that we can do. We are available at www.brewtheology.org, at Brew Theology on Facebook and Instagram, at Brew underscore Theology at Twitter. So thanks for joining us. So during this time, Ryan is in the middle of selling his house and homeschooling two little kids. So he has been completely swamped by the details. Getting ready to sell the house right now. It went back on the market this week. And as sad as I am that he's leaving, I'm glad he's able to get what he needs from the house sale so that they can move to Waco. He will be leaving uh, here at the end of June. We wish him the best and hope that everything goes smoothly as they move across country in the middle of a pandemic. On my front, I went to the Wesleyan Theological Society meeting at the beginning of March. And while we were there, we got to talk to a lot of our old friends. We lived there for many years. And one of those friends came back with us because we house her cats for her because of allergies. And... Unfortunately, she caught COVID-19. We're not exactly sure when or where and has been very, very sick in the ICU. She has currently made a huge turn and is now working on recovery. It really has been in some ways a miraculous recovery and I am so thankful for that. But it has been a long several weeks and the realities of COVID-19 have been very front and center for me during this time. I also want to say that if you are a Brew Theology listener and you don't have a mask and you need one, I would love to send you one. So please feel free to email me, Janelle at BrewTheology.org, and I'll put one in the mail for you. So what I'd like to do today is just share with you some things that I found for you, and I'm just going to read them, and the first two are longer and are kind of step-by-step lists of things to expect and look for during this time, and then there'll be five or six um, that are more reflections and inspirational. So the first one I want to share with you is from Emily M.D. Scott, and she wrote this in response to Hurricane Sandy in New York City. And she also, I just saw, is coming out with a new book called For All Who Hunger, Searching for Communion in a Shattered World. You can find this post on Medium if you want to read it in its original form. And her perspective is she's coming as a clergy person looking at dealing with um, tragedy. So some of this applies more towards providing care for others but I still think that it's helpful for all of us to hear these words. She says this, I served as a clergy person through Hurricane Sandy in New York City. It was scary and hard, and while a hurricane is very different from what we're facing now, working in the time of COVID-19 has felt really familiar. Here's a few things I learned about how to make it through in the long haul. Number one, your brain won't work as well. This week I've forgotten what I was doing a thousand times. 
Stress messes with your sequencing and ordering your thoughts gets hard. Try to do one thing at a time. Number two, touch down once a day for the big picture, but focus on the tasks in front of you for most of the day. There's a lot to take in about how our world has changed. Take in news and new information once during the day to make sure the work you're doing is in line with the new reality. But the rest of the time, focus on your work. Having something to focus on always gives me a sense of agency. Number three, pause to assess your gifts and your vocation and how they might meet the need in this current moment. If you're incredible at pastoral care, focus on delivering it. If you're great at building new structures, do that. We'll all have to adapt in this new time, but lean on gifts God gave you and take a breath to decide how to focus your time. Number four, savor the sweet spots. It might be snuggling down under the covers when you first wake up or a cup of tea each night on the porch, but linger in the moments that give you comfort as long as you can. Number five, do less. We can all do about 50 to 75% of what we did before this crisis hit. Let extra stuff fall away and streamline what you can. Number six, sometimes it's time for triage. There are certain moments when we just jump in to make something happen. It's good to move fast, but remember you'll need to move slow afterward. Number seven, adapt and pivot. Be as nimble as you can. We're in a world that looks very different and all our organizations will need to shift to meet new needs. If you're part of an organization that has a structure set up to serve others, how can that structure reach the most vulnerable right now? I know I said do less above, but also it's time to do differently as well. Your church or organization might have resources, volunteers, or space. How can we be the church in this time, taking care of our members and then stretching outward to love our neighbors? Number eight, trauma will emerge. I've noticed that my body and mind shutting down this week or my emotions raging out ahead of me. We can expect past traumas or current traumas to influence our days. Notice the signals your body's sending you and plan in time and energy for this. Number nine, rituals and structures of self-care are key. Meditation at the beginning and end of the day, a long walk, a regular talk with a dear friend, set up structures that will hold you through this time. And number 10, you're not God. If you're the kind who thinks you have to rescue the world, remember that we're in this together and God is still here. There are people working for good in every setting, hospitals, libraries, schools, grocery stores. You can trust them to do their job while you do yours. The next thing is from practicing psychologist, Dr. Phyllis Mathis, and she is doctoral level psychologist in NYS with a PsyD in the specialties of school and clinical psychology. Mental health wellness tips for quarantine. Number one, stick to a routine. Go to sleep and wake up at a reasonable time. Write a schedule that is varied and includes time for work as well as self-care. Number two, dress for the social life you want, not the social life you have. Get showered and dressed in comfortable clothes, wash your face, brush your teeth. Take the time to do a bath or a facial, put on some bright colors. It's amazing how our dress can impact our mood. Number three, Get out at least once a day for at least 30 minutes. If you're concerned of contact, try first thing in the morning or later in the evening and try less traveled streets and avenues. If you are high risk or living with those who are high risk, open the windows and blast the fan. It is amazing how much fresh air can do for the spirits. Number four, 
Find some time to move each day, again, daily for at least 30 minutes. If you don't feel comfortable going outside, there are many YouTube videos that offer free movement classes, and if all else fails, turn on the music and have a dance party. Number five, reach out to others, you guessed it, at least once a day for 30 minutes. Try to do FaceTime, Skype, phone calls, texting, connect with other people to seek and provide support. Don't forget to do this for your children as well. Set up virtual playdates with friends daily via FaceTime, Facebook Messenger, kids, Zoom, etc. Your kids miss their friends too. Number six, stay hydrated and eat well. This one may seem obvious, but stress and eating often don't mix well, and we find ourselves overindulging, forgetting to eat, and avoiding food. Drink plenty of water, eat some good and nutritious foods, and challenge yourself to learn how to cook something new. Number seven, develop a self-care toolkit. This can look different for everyone. A lot of successful self-care strategies involve sensory component, seven senses, touch, taste, sight, hearing, smell, vestibular movement, and a proprioceptive comforting pressure. An idea for each, a soft blanket or a stuffed animal, a hot chocolate, photos of vacations, comforting music, lavender or eucalyptus oil, a small swing or rocking chair, a weighted blanket. A journal, an inspirational book, or a mandala coloring book is wonderful. Bubbles to blow or blowing watercolor on paper through a straw are visually appealing, as well as work on controlled breath. Mint gum, Listerine strips, ginger ale, frozen starburst, ice packs, and cold are also good for anxiety regulation. For children, it is great to help them create a self-regulation comfort box, often a shoebox or bin that they can decorate, that they can use on the ready for first aid when overwhelmed. Number eight, spend extra time playing with children. Children will rarely communicate how they are feeling, but will often make a bid for attention and communication through play. Don't be surprised to see therapeutic themes of illness, doctor visits, and isolation play through. Understand that play is cathartic and helpful for children. It is how they process their world and problem solve, and there's a lot they are seeing and experiencing in the now. Number nine, give everyone the benefit of the doubt in a wide berth. A lot of cooped up time can bring out the worst in everyone. Each person will have moments when they are not at their best. It is important to move with grace through blow-ups, to not show up to every argument you are invited to, and to not hold grudges and continue disagreements. Everyone is doing the best they can to make it through this. Number 10. Everyone find their own retreat space. Space is at a premium, particularly with city living. It is important that people think through their own separate space for work and for relaxation. For children, help them identify a place where they can go to retreat when stressed. You can make this place cozy by using blankets, pillows, cushions, scarves, beanbags, tents, and forts. It is good to know that even when we are on top of each other, we have our own special place to go to be alone. Number 11. Expect behavioral issues in children and respond gently. We are all struggling with disruption in routine, none more than children, who rely on routines constructed by others to make them feel safe and to know what comes next. Expect increased anxiety, worries, and fears, nightmares, difficulty separating or sleeping, testing limits, and meltdowns. Do not introduce major behavioral plans or consequences at this time. Hold stable and focus on emotional connection. Number 12. Focus on safety and attachment. We are going to be living for a bit with the unprecedented demand of meeting all work deadlines, homeschooling children, 
running a sterile household, and making a whole lot of entertainment and confinement. We can get wrapped up in meeting expectations in all domains, but we must remember that these are scary and unpredictable times for children. Focus on strengthening the connection through time spent following their lead, through physical touch, through play, through therapeutic books, and via verbal reassurances that you will be there for them in this time. 13. Lower expectations and practice radical self-acceptance. This idea is connected with number 12. We are doing too many things in this moment under fear and stress. This does not make a formula for excellence. Instead, give yourself what psychologists call radical self-acceptance, accepting everything about yourself, your current situation, and your life without question, blame, or pushback. You cannot fail at this. There is no roadmap, no precedent for this, and we are all truly doing the best we can in an impossible situation. 14. Limit social media and COVID conversation, especially around children. One can find tons of information on COVID-19 to consume, and it changes minute to minute. The information is often sensationalized, negatively skewed, and alarmist. Find a few trusted sources that you can check in with consistently, limit it to a few times a day, and set a time limit for yourself on how much you'll consume. Again, 30 minutes tops, two to three times daily. Keep news and alarming conversations out of earshot from children. They see and hear everything and can become very frightened by what they hear. 15. Notice the good in the world, the helpers. There is a lot of scary, negative, and overwhelming information to take in regarding this pandemic. There are also tons of stories of people sacrificing, donating, and supporting one another in miraculous ways. It is important to counterbalance the heavy information with the hopeful information. Number 16. Help others. Find ways, big and small, to give back to others. Support restaurants, offer to grocery shop, check in with elderly neighbors, write psychological wellness tips for others. Helping others gives us a sense of agency when things seem out of control. Number 17. Find something you can control and control the heck out of it. In moments of big uncertainty and overwhelm, control your little corner of the world. Organize your bookshelf, purge your closet, put together that furniture, group your toys. It helps to anchor and ground us when the bigger things are chaotic. 18. Find a long-term project to dive into. Now is the time to learn how to play the keyboard, put together a huge jigsaw puzzle, start a 15-hour game of Risk, paint a picture, read the Harry Potter series, binge watch an eight-season show, crochet a blanket, solve a Rubik's Cube, or develop a new town in Animal Crossing. Find something that will keep you busy, distracted, and engaged to take breaks from what is going on in the outside world. Number 19. Engage in repetitive movements and left-right movements. Research has shown that repetitive movement, knitting, coloring, painting, clay sculpting, jumping rope, etc., especially left-right movement, running, drumming, skating, hopping, can be effective at self-soothing and maintaining self-regulation in moments of distress. Number 20. Find an expressive art and go for it. Our emotional brain is very receptive to the creative arts and it is a direct portal for release of feeling. Find something that is creative, sculpting, drawing, dancing, music, singing, playing, and give it your all. See how relieved you feel. It is a very effective way of helping kids to emote and communicate well. 21. Find lightness and humor in each day. There is a lot to be worried about, and with good reason. Counterbalance this heaviness with something funny each day. Cat videos on YouTube, a stand-up show on Netflix, a funny movie, 
We all need a little comedic relief in our day every day. 22. Reach out for help. Your team is there for you. If you have a therapist or psychiatrist, they are available to you even at a distance. Keep up your medications and your therapy sessions as best you can. If you are having difficulty coping, seek out help for the first time. There are mental health people on the ready to help you through this crisis. Your children's teachers and related service providers will do anything within their power to help, especially for those parents tasked with the difficult task of being a whole treatment team to their child with special challenges. Seek support groups of fellow homeschoolers, parents, and neighbors to feel connected. There is help and support out there any time of day. Although we are physically distant, we can always connect virtually. 23. Chunk your quarantine. Make it moment by moment. We have no roadmap for this. We don't know what this will look like in one day, one week, or one month from now. Often when I work with patients who have anxiety around overwhelming issues, I suggest that they engage in a strategy called chunking. Focus on whatever bite-sized piece of a challenge that feels manageable whether that will be five minutes a day or a week at a time. Find what feels doable for you and set a timestamp for how far ahead in the future you will let yourself worry. Take each chunk one at a time and move through the stress in pieces. Number 24. Remind yourself daily that this is temporary. It seems in the midst of this quarantine that it will never end. It is terrifying to think of the road stretching ahead of us. Please take time to remind yourself that although this is very scary and difficult and will go on for an undetermined amount of time, it is a season of life and it will pass. We will return to feeling free, safe, busy, and connected in the days ahead. 25. Find the lesson. This whole crisis can seem sad, senseless, and at times avoidable. When psychologists work with trauma, a key feature to helping someone work through said trauma is to help them find their agency, the potential positive outcomes they can affect, the meaning and the construction that can come out of deconstruction. What can each of us learn here in big and small ways from this crisis? What needs to change in ourselves, our homes, our communities, our nation, and our world? Now I'd like to move on to what I would say are some more reflective things that I've seen about the crisis. I hope that you find something in them. From my friend Elizabeth. A friend during a conversation yesterday shared that every morning he wakes up and has a moment of intentional grief. Grieves all that he won't have today or that has changed. Things he misses. Then takes a moment to be grateful. I've been trying to list things I'm grateful for, but I hadn't been allowing myself time to grieve. I think this is a very, very important part of our daily lives now. Breathe. Grieve. Breathe. Gratitude. Breathe. Remember you are loved. I'm just going to pause here for just a second and let us go through that again. Breathe. Grieve. Breathe. Gratitude. Breathe. Remember you are loved. Next is a reflection from my friend Sarah. So I went running today. I know. Who even am I? I don't usually run, but it felt like the thing to do at the time. And when I got there, it felt pretty good. Might tighten up tonight. Who knows? 
At one point, I looked at the trail and the naked trees and the yellow grass and the light shining on it all, and I thought, this is a perfect moment. And then I thought, if it weren't for this quarantine, I wouldn't have this moment. I'd be in the car with the kids or at an appointment or at the gym doing homework, but there's no way that I would have been running right there at 4.30 p.m. this afternoon. So I grabbed that moment and I held it. Holding that moment doesn't mean that I would choose this experience over that one. It doesn't mean I'm not missing out on moments that I would really like to have. It doesn't cover the losses or diminish them. But still, it was a perfect moment. In the midst of this shift, this change, this chaos, this struggle, even while trying to get my mind around the massive weight of this disease and the swath it's cutting across humanity, there was a perfect moment. A perfect moment I wouldn't have had without the rest of the package. We have to hold the hardships and the perfect moments together, I think. Even in the face of staggering loss and insecurity, when our way of life is threatened, there are perfect moments. And just like those moments don't fix the losses, the losses don't make those moments any less perfect. It's not easy to hold it all. But there's nothing easy about this situation. For that matter, there's nothing easy about so many amazing things in life. Truth, trust, love, hope, beauty, I could go on. They are all weighty, and yet life is so much better when we learn to carry them. One of the things that this time offers me, then, is the chance to get better at doing hard things, specifically at holding the good with the bad, the hard with the joyful, the perfect moments with the anguish and grief. It's a chance to practice so that after this time, I can continue to see more clearly. If this calls to you, maybe it's a chance for you to practice, too, or maybe you are called to other things right now. That's okay, too. We're all in this together. The Irish poet Kathleen O'Meara wrote this in 1869 after a plagued and devastated Ireland began to recover. Something lovely. And people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Someone meditated, someone prayed, someone danced, Someone met their own shadow, and people started thinking differently, and people healed, and people abandoned dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways. The earth began to heal, and people found themselves. They grieved for the dead, and they made new choices, and dreamed new visions, and created a new way to live, and heal the earth fully, just as they had been healed. Amen. This is from my friend Sharon. Friends, I've been trying to be mostly positive these days, but I feel like I need to acknowledge the new reality. We're experiencing collective trauma. We're being told, essentially, that we should consider anything less than 100,000 deaths a win. 10 million people are suddenly unemployed. Religious services canceled, elective surgeries canceled, counseling sessions canceled or moved online, Important events, weddings, graduations, vacations, reunions, canceled. Children's education disrupted. Families separated. Essential workers facing the stress of infection every day. Sickness, hospital bills, lack of care at home because people don't want to infect family or friends. 
and grief over those we are losing, which will reach more of us in the weeks and months ahead. That's not an exhaustive list. We all are all, every one of us, being traumatized, and the fallout will continue long after the virus has passed its peak. Take it seriously. Trauma alters the brain and damages the body. Trauma interferes with children's ability to learn and form healthy attachments. We need to do all that we can to show compassion to ourselves and to each other. Rest, hydrate, get out in the sunshine, develop a spiritual practice, which doesn't have to be religious, for example, mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. Hug the people you live with, video chat with friends and family, carry each other's burdens. No one is coming to rescue us. God has given us to each other, and we must make this trip together as best as we can. I wish it wasn't so, but it is. A quote from Rebecca Solnit on hope from Hope in the Dark. Hope locates itself in the premises that we don't know what will happen and that in the spaciousness of uncertainty is room to act. When you recognize uncertainty, you recognize that you may be able to influence the outcomes, you alone or you in concert with a few dozen or several million others. Hope is an embrace of the unknown and the unknowable, an alternate to the certainty of both optimists and pessimists. Optimists think it will be fine without our involvement, Pessimists adopt the opposite position. Both excuse themselves from acting. It is the belief that what we do matters, even though how and when it may matter, who and what it may impact, are not things that we can know beforehand. We may not, in fact, know them afterwards either, but they matter all the same, and history is full of people whose influence was most powerful after they were gone. From my friend Aram. When I worked in hospice, when a patient was entering the final stretch and death seemed imminent, family would often gather to keep vigil. For patients who were fortunate enough to have supportive family and friends close by, this could be a beautiful thing. Loved ones coming together in the patient's room and setting up shop, if you will, hunkering down with baskets of snacks, soothing music, photographs on the wall, burning candles, incense. Keeping vigil was a suspension of time where regular routines were set aside and time stop. Kairos within the Kronos. I watched with awe as family who previously had spent little time together now had ample time to reminisce, tell stories, laugh, cry, and simply be. It was a beautiful thing to behold. But sometimes something unexpected would happen. The loved one would not die. They just kept hanging on and on and on. And after the initial joy and energy of keeping vigil began to wear off, nerves began to fray, edges became rough, and it wasn't fun anymore. It was work, and it was exhausting. I thought of that today as we mark five weeks of keeping vigil. The novelty has worn off, energy has waned, and death is all around, different kinds of deaths. In hospice, you learn to shut your mouth and sit with people. You offer presence, which is hard to do. But when I look back, if there was a word of advice I'd consistently give to families of hospice patients, especially when keeping vigil, it was this. You're going to need to cut each other a lot of slack, and you're going to need to cut yourself a lot of slack. This is difficult work, and it's exhausting. And finally, advice from a rabbi from Rabbi Moss of Sydney, Australia. Question. 
This coronavirus thing has really thrown me. I feel like I've lost all sense of certainty. No one knows what will happen next. How do we stay sane when we don't know what's lurking around the corner? Answer. It is not that we have lost our sense of certainty. We have lost our illusion of certainty. We never had it to begin with. This could be majorly unsettling or amazingly liberating. This tiny virus of 125 nanometers has sent the entire world into chaos. All of our plans are up in the air, markets are going crazy, entire countries shutting down, and we have no clue what the future holds. But that is always the case. We never know what the future holds. We only think we do, and keep getting surprised when things don't pan out the way we expected. Now the mask is off. We have to admit our vulnerability. What will happen next? We don't know. Our experts don't know. Our leaders don't know. Only God knows. And that is the point. Only God knows. Close your eyes and feel the uncertainty. Make peace with it. Let yourself be taken by it. Embrace your cluelessness. Because in all the confusion, there is one thing you know for sure. You are in God's hands. Keep calm. Panic and fear are also contagious. Take every precaution as advised by health authorities. Wash your hands well, and every time you do, remember whose hands you are in. I want to thank you for listening, and I hope that some of this was helpful. We are here for you, and if there's a topic that you would like us to cover, please let us know. And if we can do anything to help, just ask. Please Uh, Keep practicing social distancing, wash your hands well, wear a mask, and stay safe, friends. Don't take risks right now. Just sit at home and wait it out. And if you are in pastoral leadership and struggle to know what to do next and you need someone to talk to, we're here. Thank you again for listening to Brew Theology. You can find us online at brewtheology.org and at brewtheology on Facebook and Instagram and at brew underscore theology on Twitter. We love you. We wish you the best and we'll be praying for you. Thank you.